We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Double went on Durant. Mills. Shot clock at three. Harden bumping it in. Look. Oh, takes it in. What a great move. James Harden careens off the body of Doncic and glides for two. Well, there you go. That's what we can expect moving forward. Well, we'll find out. Keith Pompey covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can follow him on Twitter at Pompey, P-O-M-P-E-Y, on Sixers. Nice enough to join us the morning after the game. So um, you asked a really good question the other night. Actually, I don't know if you asked the question, but Doc Rivers was asked the question with the addition of James Harden, do the Sixers now have enough to win an NBA title? And Keith, I was kind of surprised because he didn't, he didn't just come out and say, well, of course we do. So do they? You know, I, I think they're a better team. I think they got the best player um, in there. But, you know, I, I don't know if this is elevation to the NBA championship to win a title. I mean, just because, you know, there are, are some deficiencies. Like, you know, first of all, we have to see how Joel and, and, and Harden meshed, right? That's the mm-hmm. first thing. I think they will do well, especially this season. But it, the shooting has been inconsistent. The best shooter they traded away to get James Harden, and and they fi- and they finally found a, a quality backup big, um, and Embiid for Embiid and Andre Drummond. And now the Sixers have to look for a backup big in the buyout market. So you know. Doc Rivers was he was kind of honest. Typically, coaches say, "Yeah, yeah," um, but I, I think he was honest, and I, and I think that is those are two legitimate concerns right there in regards to a consistent shooter. Someone has to step up, and who's going to be the backup? You know, just in case something happens to Embiid, or you just want to, you know, you don't want to wear him out minute wise. You know, Keith, one of the things that we've seen with the Sixers uh, over the course of this season. Um, was the fact that when teams went to a zone defense, it really gave them problems. It's, it's, been, mm-hmm. it's been really throughout the season, and you just saw it last week with the game that they lost. Again, zone defense has just posed a problem. I'm guessing that the addition of a shooter like Harden could, could be the solution to that, right? I mean, it, it would seem like if, if, if zone defenses are problematic for you, your team, having a shooter with the range of Harden would be a good way to, would be a good way to combat that. You know, I, 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 I agree. I also think the fact that he can take things off the dribble, like where he can sort of attack the defense and then kick the ball out as well. And, and you know, he can do the step back three or he can find Embiid. I think that is going to help him because when you look at the 76ers, you know, Tyrese Maxey has played a heck of a season. I mean, he was better than 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 anyone could imagine. But he's more of a combo guard than a point guard. Right, and and they didn't have a, a point guard. Not to say that James Harden is a quote unquote point guard, but at the same time he has more experience and he can do that. And yes, you know when he's firing from outside, he can you know he, he he can show range and he can make those shots and it will help it. But I also think the fact that his being able to penetrate 
get to a spot, kick the ball out, or find Embiid is really going to help them out and help them get these teams out of the zone. Keith Pompey is our guest. He covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer, a job that probably got just a lot more interesting. Um, Keith, the last time the Sixers had a guard who could who could close out, who who was was clutch, it was Jimmy Butler. Is Harden at this point of his career better than Butler was when he was here a couple of years back? That's a great question um, because you know uh, you look at it, and uh, you know the, the thing about Harden. Uh, you know, uh, if you would have said a couple of years ago, I would say Harden. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, Harden was completely better. Now, the reason why it's a great question is because you look at Harden right now, he's 32. Um, you know, he's played a lot of minutes. He's done a lot of things. But he had kind of like a down shooting percentage for a season this year in, in Brooklyn. So you have to determine, was that just because of the situation he was in or is he a little bit on the decline, so to speak? Um, but, you know... Let's face it, When as soon as they got rid of Jimmy Butler and we realized that the Al Horford experiment wasn't working, everyone at that point was saying, you have to go after James Harden. You have to. But again, that was the James Harden from two years ago, so we'll really find out. But, you know, if, if you ask me, like, nothing against Jimmy Butler. I like Jimmy. I mean, and I think Jimmy was great. But – you know, there was a time where some people were saying, I don't know if Jimmy's the right guy. And But when they got into the playoffs, they understood that Jimmy was that guy. They understood it then. But even still, he still wasn't in that category of a James Harden. Like James Harden was what they call those A-list guys, where Jimmy, as good as he was, mm-hmm. you know, he was a B-list all-star. So – you know, it's still an upgrade. The only question is, we had, the Sixers have to figure out, is was his shooting percentage because of Father Tom, so to speak, or was it just because he was in a bad situation, you know, up in Brooklyn? One of the things that, uh, and we were just talking about this before you came on, one of the things about this trade that surprised me, not that the trade was done, that didn't surprise me because it had been talked about for so long, but they were able to do it without including Thibel or Maxi or Harris or those guys who had, at various times had all been mentioned as part of the proposed deal. They were able to make the deal without including any of those guys. How surprising was that to you? You know, the, the thing about it is, um, in regards to uh, Harris, his contract was like, you know, it's just too much. You know, there are teams who like him but they don't like him for 30, 35.9 million. You know, they, they, they like, if he was a 20 million guy, maybe. Right. Um, but I think that was a hard, hard, a sell getting off of that contract. Um, in regards to, to, to Maxi and, and Matisse. Yeah, I was surprised um, be, be because there were at least one of them, because there were a lot of teams who really, you know, who were going after him. But when you think about it, you look at it, I think this was the quintessential bluffing uh, trade negotiations. Like, at the end of the day, Brooklyn was saying how much they wanted these guys, but they really didn't want to finish the season with Harden in the locker room because they didn't know how, if it was just going to blow up. I mean, the guy wasn't with the team. You know, he was in Houston, I heard, you know, things like that. He left 
you know, for the uh, for the trade deadline. So they guys on the team felt like he quit. They quit on him. So while they were saying we're holding out, you know, they they at, at the end they had to settle. You know, and I, and it was one of those things where, yes, they kept saying we want Matisse, we want Matisse, we want Matisse, but then right at the eleventh hour they said, okay, we'll take Drummond instead, <laughs> right? So yeah. in in a way you can argue that yes, they didn't have to give these guys up, but but at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, Brooklyn was going to make a deal no matter what. I'm just gonna, there's a little confusion as to whether he opted in for next year. I've seen reports both ways. What is his contract status? I'm hearing that he will opt in. Uh, I, I, you know, I didn't hear that he opted in. Okay, but he has not yet. Um, no, I, I just scared. okay. Um, one more, I one more question. And I'll turn it over to Ray. What would you, given the opportunity, what would you have wanted to ask Ben Simmons over the course of the last month or two? Uh, what could you have done better? What could you have done better? You know, I mean, because, you know, the, the thing about Ben, you know, every, every, and like, you know, Ben stuff is leaking out and, you know, you talk to sources and they say stuff, how you felt. I never fault anyone for the way they feel, especially six months after the way they felt a certain way. But my main question would have been, like, what could you have done to make this situation better? And the reason why I'm saying that is I remember um, his first playoff series, you know, which was his rookie year, but actually his second year because he missed the first year. And he struggled from the foul line, and and he struggled to make shots at times, right? And um, more so shots from the outside. He didn't take them. And, you know, I remember I was doing these radio shows, and people were asking me, well, do you expect him to be better next year? And I was like, yeah. Like, you know, after he struggled from shooting the three and these perimeter shots and how guys were sagging off him, I'm confident that this guy is in the gym working on it, right? He just assumed he would be. And then the second year comes, and it's a little bit of the same. And then after that, the same. And it gets to a point where, you know, when you don't fire up those shots, um, it leads to Doc Rivers having to go above and beyond to defend you from the media, which led to finally Doc Rivers saying what he said and then led to Ben Simmons getting upset and, and led to where we are right now. And my question for him would be, what would you have done differently when you went back to that Boston series um, and you struggled? from shooting the ball, because if he would have worked on his game, I'm telling you, I mean, we talk about Joel Embiid being the guy, and Joel Embiid is the man, but some of the things that Ben Simmons used to do for a 6'10 guy, his athleticism and stuff, you know, is comparable what Joel Embiid is able to do as a 7'2 guy, and if Ben worked on his jumper and, and, and spent more time on his three-throw shooting, I mean, you can say that he would be a top five player in the in the league. And so that would be my question to Ben Simmons. Like, what would you have done differently? Yeah, good question. Good question. It's a question that uh, a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people would ask. My uh, last question for me, Keith, is it seems that uh, when you look at Simmons and the kind of player that he is at this point in his career uh, and the, and the landing places that he could have gone, 
you know, not that I'm rooting for the guy. I'm certainly not. But it seems like Brooklyn's a good one for him. I mean, for a guy that doesn't want to shoot the ball and wants to distribute the ball, he needs to be on a team with shooters. And, man, they got some shooters. I mean, it seems like if you could pick a, if you could pick a place for him to go, if he can just deal with New York, if he can deal with the New York media and the scrutiny he's going to be under, for his game, being on the same floor with Durant and Irving and Curry now would seem to be a tailor-made situation for him. Oh, yeah. It's the, if it's not the best situation, it's the second best. I mean, you know, ideally you would say to yourself, okay, where else would he be better or excel? Okay, the Splash Brothers, right, in Golden State. But then you have to, you know, you can't have him and Draymond on the floor at the same time. So then you think about Brooklyn and the difference between the Splash Brothers and um, and, and Brooklyn is like, you know, the Splash Brothers, they shoot threes. You know, they're known for that. Well, these guys can do a lot of things. They can become very ball-dominant at times and do things. So whereas, you know, Ben Simmons can be, uh, you know, celebrated for getting four to five shots a game because he knows he's going to defend. He knows he's going to get assists. He's going to do a lot of other intangible things. He's going to be an all-star type of role player type of guy, getting stats. And, you know, I also think that there's not going to be anyone saying, hey, how come you only shot the ball four times? How come you didn't shoot the ball in the in the fourth quarter? So you are right. You are correct. It, it, this is a great uh, spot for him. My only thing that I hope for him, like you said, you know, you root for the guy. You know, he, you know, he, he wants to a lot. But me personally, I just hope that he uses this opportunity. Now, again, he doesn't have to shoot the ball. But I hope he uses this opportunity to take advantage of working on his game. Well, you may not have to show it, but you have to improve your game because that's going to come an opportunity that, you know, you're going to be called upon to make that shot. You're more gracious than I am, Keith Pompey. I'll give you credit for that. Uh, Pompey on Sixers on Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, real quick, when might we see James Harden's debut? Is it going to be before the All-Star game or next week? I don't know. Doc said there's no timetable. Um, you know, I would, I would hate to throw something out there, okay. but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if, 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 it's, you know, if, if it takes to after the All-Star game. Got it. Keith, thanks thanks so much for being our guest today, man. Always appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Thank you, Keith. Be well. There you go. He's very gracious, Beth Simmons, Ray. And you're you're more often a bigger man than I, more gracious than I, but I can tell you I am rooting for Ben Simmons to be a dismal failure down the road. (laughs) That's just that's just me. you know. I got I can be vindictive. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I don't particularly care. I mean, I certainly, I know. you know, made it known I don't like the guy, but now that he's somebody else's problem, I can, you know, whatever happens happens. I'm not rooting either for nor I'm certainly not rooting for him and nor am I rooting against him. I the one thing I am rooting for, I am rooting for the Sixers and the and the Nets to hook up in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I would I I that, that if you're asking me what I'm rooting for as the outcome of all this, what I am rooting for is that when you get to the postseason, we get Sixers Nets somewhere along the line. That, yep. to me, would be must-see TV. Corey in the Northeast wants to talk about the trade. What are you thinking, Corey? Hey, guys. How you doing? All right. Uh, first, uh, you know, I'm ecstatic about the trade. I think it was the best-case scenario. I think he got the best player that he could. We all know that that's what we hey, want. Hey, Corey, if you're on speaker, could you um, get off the speaker and pick up the phone? 
pick up the headset? One second. Okay. Yeah, it really helps us. It's it's easier for the audience to hear when you're Hello? actually. Is that yeah, better? They're much better. Thank you. All yes. right. Sorry about that. I'm at work. Mm-hmm. But we all know that that was his guy all along, so I'm sure he's happy about getting. But what I wanted to talk about is now what are we going to do about the backup center position? Now, I know that there's been a couple of things said about maybe getting DeAndre Jordan in the buyout market or um, Boogie Cousins. I mean, what do you guys see them doing? I think that, I mean, not not being able to tell you all the names, but the buyout market is a real thing in the NBA, which is teams want to dump contracts at the end of, or, or you know, coming up soon in the season. Um, the Sixers have done it before. Remember when they got Bellinelli a couple of years ago and how right. helpful he was? That was a buyout market thing. So they'll they'll find a body. But part of it to me, Corey, and you do need a backup center, but it's less vital as they move to the playoffs because, hey, if you lose and beat in the playoffs, you're done anyway. I don't want the backup center to play more than 10, 12 minutes a night in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. So, so we'll see. That's, um, I mean, it's something they have to do, but, Ray, I can't say it's big concern to me. No, no. Although Drummond did fit that role very well. Yeah, I know. I mean, he came in he and actually gave, he actually came in and gave you something. You know, when he was when he was on the floor, I mean, he he did some things. He was certainly a certainly a defensive presence. He rebounded hard, and he could actually he could actually score the ball once in a while. So, I mean, he was kind of nice to have. But if putting him in the trade allowed you to close the deal, then fine, I'm fine with that. Yeah. How do you think Drummond and uh, Curry feel now? <laughs> That they are, uh, they got to be teammates of Ben Simmons now. That they got traded because of Ben Simmons. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's not a lot of warmth there. Yeah. I mean, Curry, you know, Doc had to trade his son-in-law. His son-in-law. He traded his grandkids for God's sakes. Yeah. About that. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll get some calls in coming up in the next segment. We do our Shibe Sports this week in Philadelphia sports history. We have a great one, a hoops-related one, a big star comes to town one. So I'm excited about that. Stay tuned for that. We'll take your calls at 215-592-9494. He's Ray Dinger. I'm Glenn Mack now. And if this cold winter weather hasn't yet convinced you to replace your drafty, inefficient windows and doors, well, great people have got a door and window. They can help. They're extending their biggest discounts of the year through the end of February. Now, if you haven't taken advantage of Guida's big winter sale, here's another chance to do so. You receive 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window that includes free high-performance low-E glass and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can buy now and pay later with Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans. Act now. Offers through the end of February. So don't let this chance for big savings pass you by. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. 
time for this week in Philly Sports History, brought to you by Scheib Vintage Sports, where there's a story in every stitch. Check out their throwback apparel at their Center City location or ScheibSports.com. Ray, the timing on this one couldn't be any better because we are this week celebrating and anticipating the arrival of a huge hoops star who could change the trajectory of the Sixers. That's for sure. And we've been through it before. And you remember this. I was not living in Philadelphia when this occurred. But you remember the arrival of Julius Irving for the 1976-77 season. Bicentennial. Right, that bicentennial year here in Philadelphia, that was Dick Vermeil's first year, right? That was Dick Vermeil's first year. That is correct. And we are having him as a guest in about half an hour. It was also Julius Irving's first year. And, Ray, 45 years ago today was the NBA All-Star Game at the Mecca Arena in Milwaukee, home of the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, let me give you a little bit of Julius Irving from that day. McAdoo on the switch, forces a turnover now by the East defense, and here comes the doctor. House call. Oh, 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 my goodness. What do you do when the man comes at you that fashion? New point, Wesley. Lob pass to Lanier. Hey, you see Julius hustle that time, even though Lanier got to take another look. Folks, enjoy it. It's vintage Julius Irving. Welcome to the NBA, the best in basketball on CBS. Thank you. Uh, Musburger's great. Um, that was the year, Ray, that the NBA basically took in the ABA, or at least several of the franchises, and all of these stars came into the league, uh, led by Doc, who ended up with the 76ers. Let me just give you a couple of players. And there were 12 Hall of Famers played in that All-Star game that mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. February 12, 1977. Julius Jabbar. Earl the Pearl, who was our guest uh, a couple weeks ago and tell us your story. John Havlicek, Pete Maravich, he was always one of my favorites. Uh, Rick Barry, Buffalo Bob Lanier, George Gervin, Elvin Hayes. Ray, that was, basketball was great. Yeah, nicknames were great, too. <laughs> yes, Big Ice e, Man. Iceman, yeah. Earl the Pearl. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, by the way, Doc had 30 points in 30 minutes, and there was no three-point shot then. Right. So, six years later to the day, February 12th, 1983, at the Forum in Inglewood, California, Doc is again the MVP in the All-Star Game. Billy Cunningham coaches the East that day. Pat Riley coaches the West. And, Ray, that kind of foretells what are going to be the NBA Finals that year. Yes, it was. Um, By the way, just I'm going to do one quick aside. That game was notable for the players in it. But is most remembered all these years later, was that 39 years later, for something else. Do you know what that game is most remembered for? No. Go ahead. Play it, Dan Wilson. That when I sang it, would he let it move men's souls? Can you see? Marvin Gaye does this soulful uh, drum machine version of the Star Spangled Banner before the game, which, to my way of thinking, really kick-started anthem performances as a thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it seemed to. Yeah, Uh, and I think everybody remembers that one. Uh, But let me get back to to Doc. By the way, 
that second All-Star game, 1983, the NBA had added the three-point shot. So you have all the All-Stars in that game. Mm-hmm. You know how many three-point shots were taken? Oh, geez. A uh, half dozen? Four. <laughs> <laughs> one was made. It's the All-Star game. There was one three-pointer. Uh, and by the way, I, I loved basketball much more back then, but that's, that's beside the point. So just I know um, it's not fair – to um, James Harden to compare his arrival to Julius Irving because that was, uh, and this is where I'm coming to your expertise, maybe the top one or two arrivals in this city in terms of sports stars? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because it, uh, it, um, it was one of those that you, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, there was talk about uh, the, the, they, they were then the New Jersey Nets and uh, – they were in financial trouble. The owner, uh, Roy Bowe, was was in financial trouble, and he just kind of, they he kind of had a sell dock away. It was what it amounted to. He became available, uh, and the Sixers jumped in, and Pat Williams was the general manager, and the guy that owned the Sixers back at that time was uh, Fitz Dixon, and Fitz Dixon knew so little about basketball he didn't even know who Julius Irving was, and uh, Pat Williams was trying to explain to him why this was a good move for the franchise and why they couldn't afford not to do this. And just to try and drive home the point to Fitz Dixon so he could understand that he said, Mr. Dixon, Julius Irving is the Babe Ruth of basketball. And Fitz said, where's my checkbook? Yeah. <laughs> and, the right. deal, and the deal got done. Yeah. And, um, and, and it was done in season. The season was underway. And I, and I still remember the very first night when, um, uh, when he played his first game at the Spectrum, um, th- there was a season ticket holder named Steve Soames who had a courtside seat. He had one of the seats on the floor. Uh, and Steve, when they introduced Julius Irving and he went out to, in the spotlight to midcourt, uh, Steve Soames ran from his seat uh, onto the court and handed Julius Irving a doctor's kit. <laughs> uh, and the place just went crazy. And yeah. it was uh, – and. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the Sixers lost that game. Oh well, who remembers that? But I mean, it it took it took a little time for them to put the pieces together. Um, But the idea was they had a really good team, and they thought that one more star player could put them over the top. And he did indeed get them to the finals. But they ran into the Bill Walton Trailblazers. Right. Anyway, it had to be a thrilling time, and you know, I, I I'm comparing them, even as I know it's not fair to compare what was going on then, which is with what's going on now. But when a big star, one of the the bright lights of the league, comes to the city, it really does gin up the interest. Now, Doc was young, right? Doc still had a prime. Oh, sure. He was right right in his prime at that time. Harden is 32 going on 55. So... We'll, we'll get what we can. You know what's interesting about it, Doc, too? Just, we got, what, a decade? Yeah, just very just very quickly. It's it's so far back, people don't really – it's hard to put it in context. But the interesting thing about it was Doc was a name, but nobody had seen him play. Yeah. You think about it. I mean, he played at the University of Massachusetts. I mean, who sees University of Massachusetts? Not exactly like they're high on college college basketball's radar. They're not on TV. So nobody had really seen him play in college. And then he goes to play in the ABA – which, unless you were an ABA fan and you liked the multicolored basketball, you know, not that many people watched the ABA. Right. But everybody we used to get it Saturday afternoon at two. Yeah, but everybody kind of. But every, the thing was, not that many people had seen him play, but everybody knew who he was. Yeah. And so yeah. when he crossed over to the NBA, 
there was this tremendous amount of excitement because he was there's a little bit of there was a little bit of the unknown there and the question of okay he was really good at UMass and he was really good in the ABA but how's he going to play in the NBA is mm-hmm. he is he really all that and of course we found out very quickly that he was he was all that let's go to Robert in Germantown wants to talk about the trade and Dick Vermeil Robert let's do a Harden first and then Vermeil great quick trivia question for you guys first talking about the trade. There was a baseball team in the 20s and 30s who all wore beards like Harden. Do you remember who that was? The House of Joseph? The House of David. House of David, House excuse me. David. David. They actually beat the Yankees in an exhibition game, but they actually literally all had those beards. Yeah, anyway. it, was, it was a religious group, right? Right. But yeah. they were phenomenally good. They could probably beat today's Phillies, guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyhow, I've always loved that kind of beard. Uh, I used to be married to somebody named Stolzus. A lot of Amish people have those kind of beards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, bring on Harden. My concern as a former coach is he's not really the three-point shooter you might think he is. He's down like 33%, I think. He's not Ray Allen. He's not Curry. He's not any of those guys. So zone defenses, somebody's going to have to step up. Tobias Harris is going to have to be the guy, I think. We're going to have to find somebody like J.J. Redick again to hit the three because they're going to zone this up because Embiid and Harden, their game's going to be pick and roll. Harden's down on his uh, foul shooting. The league rules seem to have changed that he can't quite get all the trips to the free throw line he used to get because he's brilliant at it. You can't cover him one-on-one, or Embiid for that matter. But zone defenses, Rivers has not impressed me with his coaching against the zone. So if I'm a coach on the other side, I'm like, okay, Tobias Harris, you got to beat us from three. That's how I see it, guys. Uh, Dick Vermeil's story, yeah. had the pleasure Sitting next to him at uh, Herb Lusk, used to play for the Eagles, throws a nice dinner and golf tournament every year, and Jim Murray and Dick Vermeil come out. And All I say about Dick Vermeil, he's just a mensch, to use a Jewish word. He's just a class guy, humble, down-to-earth, friendly, accessible, no arrogance whatsoever. And for a major celebrity like that, I've met many in New York City, what a treat, what a decent, decent human being, i got to yeah. say it. Well, Ray, I mean, you, you certainly can speak to that as well as anybody. Yeah, uh, he's, he's the finest person that I've met uh, in 50 years in the sports business in terms of just being just, uh, just a good, honest, decent person, you know, a good, honest, caring person who really cares about the people around him uh, and um, cares about his organization. And there's no, there's no clearer example of it than the way he – took care of Leonard Toes in the later, in the later years of Leonard Toes' life when he had literally lost everything, uh, including his house. Uh, Dick Vermeil took care of him. Up from that point until the day that Leonard Toes passed away, he, you know, Dick Vermeil paid his bills. Dick Vermeil took care of his health insurance. Dick Vermeil got him a place to live. Who has that kind of loyalty in, in today's world? Yeah. But that's the kind of person that Dick Vermeil is. So, you know, I mean, the wins are what they are and he, demonstrated that he was a great coach of three different teams, finally won the Super Bowl with the Rams, and it's just a tremendous upset with a quarterback who comes out of nowhere. I mean, a real storybook kind of season. Uh, and now it's all culminated, and it all caps off with a trip to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I, I, could, not be, I could not be more thrilled. Because yeah, I Because, you know, I've, I've lived with this guy now for going on 50 years, and I, yeah. I, know, I know what kind of a person he is, and, um, and he deserves every bit of this. Um. 
you know, I'm going to take another call, but before we get off the air, let, let, don't let us get off the air today without you telling the story about how Dick Vermeil did not initially think that you were that great. Oh, that's, that's certainly true. I know, but I, <laughs> I, I, I want that story to breathe, so I don't want to rush it. So let's, uh, we'll go to Antonio in Douglasville. What's on your mind, Antonio? Hey, Glenn. Uh, yeah, so I saw your tweet yesterday. I liked what you said about Dick Vermeil, and, and you listed all those athletes who, who the nicest yeah let me um just just for those who who didn't see it including ray who doesn't tweet i when i i when we basically ray when you were able to line up dick as a guest yesterday i just put on a a, put up a tweet and i just said um kind of off of what you just said you know who are the nicest classiest philadelphia sports stars i've ever met and this list is certainly not exclusive because even after i put it up i thought of some people said some but i listed Bernie Perrant, Reggie White, Charles Barkley, Dale Murphy, Cole Hamels, Charlie Manuel, Jay Wright, John LeClaire, Connor Barwin, uh, Harold Carmichael, and I said right at the top of the list, Dick Vermeil. And again, uh, Ray and I could add many names to that, but that's what I said. So go ahead, Antonio. Yeah, um, yeah. so I noticed that list, they were all separated by commas until the end, Harold Carmichael had his own seven. So I, I wanted to ask if there is any... Yeah, you know yeah, why it, that was? If he's actually the nicest, or no, it was it was only because I, I punctuation. No, the punctuation is just my mistake, and and good for you for noticing the grammar. And it's actually because, as the original when I originally put it up, I wrote Harold Cunningham, and didn't notice that that's what I wrote, and so I went back and edited my own work. So, no, make okay. nothing of it. Although Harold Carmichael is like Vermeil, right at the top of the list. And then, yeah, and I wanted to say about the uh, Olympic hockey team, uh, U- U.S. has been looking pretty good. But you know, something I noticed in the Flyers game, too, like when mm-hmm. the puck goes in the net, the first United States goal they score against China just bounces out so quickly. I feel like the, you used to be able to see the net, like, swoosh around when a goal was scored. Now it's, like, harder That's too to tight. Do. Well, yeah. I give you credit, Antonio, because you're watching the Olympics. And, Ray, you and I talked about this last week. I know your son is over there shooting it. Right. Your son posted a picture of himself with Sean White. Pretty cool. Right. Are you watching? Um, I'm I'm watching the – I'm checking in to watch the figure skating because I know that's what David's shooting. You're watching for the camera work. Yeah, I'm watching the camera work. <laughs> Do you know what camera he's operating? Can you tell? Uh, he's um, he's one of the he's one of the guys along the boards. So he's shooting he's shooting from ice level. Okay. So he was shooting the Michael Chen, who was just absolutely yeah. magnificent. What a what a tremendous long program he skated. And I'm really happy for him because. You know, he was the guy who was supposed to win four years ago and had a bad Olympics and had to live with it and then came back this year and just really blew the doors off. I was really happy for him. And David David has been around him now in, uh, in Beijing, and he's been at all the workouts, and he's been at the competition, and he's gotten to meet him, and he said he's really a nice guy, and he was kind of rooting for him, and he delivered in a big way here. So the audience is watching Michael Chen. Are you looking along the boards to see if you can spot that cameraman? Yes. Yes, and? of course. Hmm? And? Uh, yeah. I I think I saw him the other. I think, in fact, I think I saw him during the Chen routine. I think I, nice. I think I saw him during the Chen uh, long program. Uh, you should be very proud. Uh, I I am. Good stuff. All right, coming up. Well, we got another segment. We'll grab a call or two. Dick Vermeil, the newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, joins us at noon. Ray your Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. Shy Vintage Sports Annual Super Sale is here now through Sunday, February thirteenth. They're taking thirty percent off all Throwback Eagles gear online and in store. This includes both licensed apparel and originals from local Philadelphia artists. So shop now 
at shibesports.com or at their store at 13th and Walnut in Center City. Sizes and quantities are limited, so act fast and come visit Shibe Vintage Sports where there is a story in every stitch. Right in, you're Glenn Mack now. <clears throat> 94 WIP coming up in just a little bit. Dick Vermeil, newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, this is where we check in with our friends from Cooper Bonin. Join Dr. David Gelt is with us today. First of all, Doc, what do you think of the Sixers trade? Uh, good for now, but we'll see how it happens in uh, two years or so. I think that's but please, exactly please for the time. Yeah. Yeah. Great short term move. We'll, uh, we're not. We... It's it's uh, Doc, and I know this is something that you would be very familiar with. It's like you're uh, having a torrid romance with a very hot woman, and you know it's probably going to end ugly, but like hopefully it'll be good for a while. You've been through that. Enjoy my last, right? There you go. Uh, James Harden comes here with a bit of a hamstring issue. I really can't give you the details. Uh, left hamstring tightness is what it is. I guess my question is, is that the kind of thing that we should anticipate as a recurring problem, or will James Harden's strong adherence to a very good workout program avoid that? Uh, in the past, he's had hamstring issues, I think, almost for his entire career. I think it comes and goes. Some of it, uh, you know, it depends on if she wants to play or not. Um but I think uh, hopefully he uh, you know turns over a new leaf and has new uh, people around him, so he's going to want to play. So he'll get back into rehab and uh, come back soon. Ray, I would uh, suggest Ray that the doctor is showing some editorial um, uh, opinion there. Right? Yes, I, I picked up on that too. Yeah, I did. <laughs> doctor, I wanted... I'm ho- we're hopeful. We're hopeful. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. I think we all are. Uh, I wanted to shift focus just quickly to the game tomorrow. Um, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, tight end is cj zuma and he's uh he's a very good player he's the he's their number three receiver behind the two big wideouts and uh uh he went down with a with a knee injury that looked really bad in the championship game and they carried him off the field and they said he wasn't coming back in that game and he had a sprained mcl and and at that time there was no indication there was any chance he would be able to play in the super bowl and now here he is <laughs> uh and uh he practiced uh, just a little bit um, th- this week, and they said that he's – and he said, I'm good to go tomorrow. How amazing is it that a guy could have had a significant MCL sprain two weeks ago and he's going to be ready to play in the Super Bowl tomorrow? What have they had to, what have they had to do to get him this ready? Yeah, I mean, uh, it depends on when, if he had a study, you know, if it showed him if it was a grade one, two, or three uh, injury. You know, it depends on how severe or significant it was. You know, in fact, he's coming back in a couple weeks – uh, may not be as severe as we thought initially, which is good. Um, a lot of times, the good thing is because the MCL is sort of outside the knee, and it actually has a better healing potential than if it was inside the knee. Um, being a brace, uh, he's most likely been doing a lot of rehab, trying to get rid of any inflammation, um, and then he'll uh, stay in that double hinge brace when he's playing. So hopefully, uh, he'll be okay. But usually, about two to four weeks is usually the norm. So hopefully, he'll uh, he'll be successful and uh, have some input for the uh, for the team. All right, Dr. David Gell, who you got in the Super Bowl tomorrow? Uh, I think it's going to be the Rams, uh, 30 to 23. Mm, okay. That sounds like an exciting game, I hope. Hopefully right. not. I think it should be a good one. All right. Who are you rooting for? I'm actually rooting for the Bengals. Uh, I think Joe Burrow, he's, he's been playing really well. It's amazing. He came back after an injury from last year, so I would 
for Cincinnati to, uh, to come on top. That'd be nice. Nice. All right. Always a pleasure, Dr. David Gelt. All right, guys. Have a good one. Thank All you, right, Doctor. Well. Ray, tomorrow we'll devote our show to the Super Bowl, but one thing I think is pretty apparent, 90% of the country is rooting for the Bengals. Oh, no question. Sure, they're, right? they're, I mean, that's, that's a great underdog story. story. Yeah, yeah. And just one more thing, if there is low interest in this Super Bowl, and I, and I think there is, it's because um, if you line up the 32 NFL teams from the ones that people care about to the ones they don't, right? They care about the Packers. They care about the Patriots. They care about the Cowboys. They care about the Steelers. They care about the Eagles, right? The mm-hmm. Raiders, uh, the, maybe the Giants, right? I'm trying to think of the teams that would that kind of have a national following or illicit opinion. At the bottom of the list are the Bengals and the Rams. Well, the Bengals for sure, because they've been such a non-factor bordering on a joke now for for decades um but you know they're they're back with a vengeance now i mean they're they're really good and um you know i mean if you look at i mean the first team and the first team in nfl history to have a quarterback pass for four thousand yards a running back to rush for a thousand yards and two receivers to go over a thousand yards receiving and they're all under the age of 26 Oh, yeah. I'd say that's a team with a very bright future. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but I'm just talking about in terms of national followings, people interested in it. You don't run into a lot of Bengal fans walking around. No, and you don't run into any Ram fans no, even in Los Angeles. Exactly. I mean, the people in Los Angeles don't care. I mean, two weeks ago in the championship game when the Rams were playing at home against the 49ers, Matthew yeah. Stafford had to go to a silent count I to know. get the snap off like it was an away game because there were so, so many 49er fans there. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right, real quick, uh, Ray and I have a charity event uh, coming up this uh, Tuesday. By the way, Mark Zumoff's going to join us as a guest tomorrow. Get to talk some Sixers hoops with Zoo. Uh, and you can have a uh, brew with Zoo. That's what we'll call it. Brews with Zoo. Tuesday night, 630 to 9 at the Puddler's Kitchen and Tap 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport, right across the bridge from Norristown. Proceeds going to benefit Philadelphia Youth basketball a terrific charity that mark is involved with uh our brewery conchock and brewing company did a collaborative beer with mark zumoff to aid that charity and that beer is going to be featured on tuesday night starting at 6 30 ray dinger is going to be there signing and selling his but what you going to have all of them or just the uh the new one i think i've got? just got the new one finished business finished business is a great book you know what the two best books i read uh in the last six months finished business by ray dinger and kobe bryant um the rise the Rise, thank you. Yes. The Rise by Mike Sealski. And Mike is going to be there uh, along with you selling books. Fran Dunphy is going to be there. As I said, Mark Zumoff is going to be your host for the night. I'm going to be there. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So join us Tuesday night, Publish Kitchen and Tap, 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport to celebrate and benefit Philadelphia youth basketball. 215-592-9494. Coming up, the Hall of Famer, the coach. Dick Vermeil next on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.